We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Thank you for standing so long. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 23 and beginning at verse 5. I want to include all those that are watching online and perhaps those that are watching at a later time. Let the Holy Ghost and the Word speak to you today. Matthew 23, verse 5. Jesus has been speaking in the first few verses here that we should not be like the scribes and the Pharisees who are all about their reputation and pride, hypocrisy, etc. Verse 5, he says that all of their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. I hope we never forget that. There's no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom. We're, we're all part of the body of Christ. We're all brethren. Verse 9. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Kind of strong, isn't it? Call no man on earth your father. You've got a heavenly father. Preaching today from this title, Daddy Issues. And I want you to uh, hold on a minute before you relegate this message to someone you know raised in dysfunction. I believe we'll find that we all have daddy issues in the place today. And God will do a work of destiny in our life. God bless you. You may be seated today. This phrase, daddy issues, is an informal phrase for the psychological challenges resulting from an absent or an abnormal relationship with one's father. There are certain things that a father must provide for their children. Number one on my list would be a father should provide unconditional love. Even when our children do things that we're not proud of or simply make big mistakes, it doesn't matter. They should always know they are loved unconditionally. Good and bad, they're loved unconditionally. That's the way our heavenly father loves us unconditional. I also have on my list that a father should provide proper teaching, proper discipline. Father should provide food, housing of some sort. Father should protect the well-being of their children. That's physical, but it's also emotional and spiritual. Protect their well-being. Should spend quality time. Should teach good work ethics. That's been missing in our world lately should give wise counsel, on and on and on. The list goes of what a father should provide. But when fathers fail to do this, then landmark battles and challenges develop in a child's life that often they deal with for the entirety of their life. Not just till they're 18 or out of the house. This is what they deal with for the entirety of their life. Daddy issues. It's so ingrained in us that we need a father to provide these things, that if you do not get that, then you're constantly looking for the rest of your life for a father figure. 
And sometimes pastors become father figures and uncles and kind neighbors down the road and big brother programs, something to look for. And young ladies that began to date sometimes horrifically began to try to find a father figure to date. Please don't do that. That's doomed for failure. You need a husband, not a father to marry. Emotional battles, psychiatrists and psychologists tell us can be traced right back to daddy issues. That's depression traced to daddy issues and anger traced to daddy issues. Fear oftentimes traced to daddy issues. Suicide, immorality, pornography, things of addiction often trace back to this daddy issues. Many characters in the Word of God, if you're looking for it, example this. You can find them in the Word of God. In fact, the first man born to mankind probably had daddy issues. His name is Cain, and he deals with anger and rebellion, but to such a degree that he kills his brother. Daddy issues. Now, if anybody has an excuse, maybe Adam does. He was never a child. He was created full grown. He also never had the physical example of what a father should be. So maybe Adam has an excuse, but obviously Cain deals with this. Jezebel, she is striving. I know we say that name with such disdain, but she's striving to prove herself and to show she has value to the degree she steps outside of the authority that she's supposed to be operating in. New Testament, we would find characters like Mary Magdalene who had seven demons that Jesus delivered her from and seven diseases that he healed her from. But what got her into that place? Probably daddy issues. Lot's daughters of the Old Testament. How about these girls who actually moved to moral perversion and have children by their father trying to show value and respect and purpose? Everywhere, But the character that jumps out to me is that Old Testament character named Jacob. Jacob is the second born of twins. And when his brother Esau, his twin brother is born first, the Bible says of Esau that he came forth from the womb, ruddy complexion, red all over, and hairy. Like brother Gaston, every inch of me covered with hair. I mean, he's a man's man at birth. And his daddy, Isaac, dotes on him. He begins to live out that life expectancy of a man's man. He becomes a hunter of the field, etc. Esau is so loved by his daddy, daddy, Isaac. Jacob, not so much. In fact, the only time that you find Jacob getting the love he needed, the respect he needed, the reverence he needed, is when he dresses up like his brother and his blind father thinks it's Esau, and so his father loves on him, lays hands of blessing and respect and reveres him. You're talking about daddy issues. It's why you see Jacob go to a place where he's trying to start all over. But it's the same vicious cycle of daddy issues. And he involves himself in not just one girl, but he marries two girls. We can say it like it is. Perversion. But if that's not enough, he has children not just by sisters, but by their concubines or their handmaidens as well. He's having children. He's He's baby daddy to four girls. 
He's desperately trying to prove he's got value, that he has respect, that people will love him and give themselves to him. In fact, when he begins to turn his thoughts to going home, he realizes, I have got to have a change. And you know the story going across the brook. He wrestles with a theophany of God or an angel of God. And he declares, I will not let you go until I'm changed. Every one of us has to deal with our stuff. And no matter what generational curse or what environmental baggage we were raised under, we all have stuff. And we've got to learn to deal with it. And we've got to have a personal meeting where we wrestle, as it were, with God and declare, I cannot go on like I am. I need a change. All of us. In fact, this is what the entire New Testament is all about. That you must be born again. That whatever heritage and curse and brokenness you've been raised with and given by your parents, it's time to be born again of a righteous heavenly father and to be raised in an environment of a beautiful church mother and let a new life be in you. When I look at these characters, it's not hard for me to pick them out in the scripture because I have dealt with daddy issues the majority of my life. I remember stories of my mom getting in the church in San Bernardino, California when she was just 19, maybe 20 years of age. And there was a young man that prayed through in that great revival that she had never met until that time a year or so older than her, they recognized each other quickly and pastor began to caution them and say, well, you know, you've got so many changes in your life. You you need to to slow things down in this dating and make sure that you're getting other stuff. And so they were married in six months. In case you're wondering, that's not slow it down. Right. Not slow down. And so nine months to the day of their wedding, they gave birth to their first child, which would have been my older sister. And they began their life with so many changes and now a brand new baby. When mom was pregnant with me less than two years or so later, her dad committed suicide. Drugs and alcohol, he took both and left the family in a fight and a fury and they found him three days later in a ditch. Mom never got over the death of her dad. She was a daddy's girl. And because of that, she couldn't understand why her daddy she loved so much would get mad enough to take these drugs and alcohol and leave her. Mom never learned to grieve well and probably cause of the struggles of her upbringing. She never grieved properly the death of her beloved dad. And she is carrying me the whole time that she's trying to get through this and survive and struggling through this time. I was born and then just a short few months later, my dad was driving a thunderstorm Southern California night and just below Sacramento and his foot never left the accelerator. They assumed he was asleep as his car careened off the road hit a small tree, but it burst the seatbelt around his waist. His chest crushed against the steering wheel, and he went on to his reward. And now what they did not know at the time, but mom is pregnant now with what would be my younger sister. 
And mom is trying to now deal with the death of her father that she never grieved properly and now the death of her new husband and trying to have pregnancies and toddlers and young children and mom did not do well. <clears throat> there was a small amount of life insurance that mom quickly used up just trying to survive and exist from one day to the next and this was the life that I was brought into the world. Meanwhile, all the way across the nation here in Georgia was a man that had married and had two children. His wife got cancer. She went on to her reward, and so he was left with two children that were slightly older than us and uh, trying to survive. He did not grieve well either because of the abuse that him and his sister were raised in in their lifetime. Somebody thought it was a great idea to get these two families together that had so much similar things going on in their life. And, and so they introduced them. Now, a lot of empathy and a lot of sympathy and a lot of understanding, but they're both dysfunctional. Neither one of them have grieved well. And so the man that would be my stepdad here in Georgia began to date my mom in California. When I say date, uh, he flew out once to meet the family. Grandma told me I was not allowed to meet him at the time. In fact, when he flew out the second time to meet us, it was the day before our wedding, and he was not allowed to meet me then. After he said, I do, then they said, by the way, here's your new stepson. Meet Timbo. So here we went. Dysfunctional family, exactly, Pastor. It was so dysfunctional in that family. Anytime there was something that happened, it was blame game and disunity. It's your child that did this, and my son said this, and your daughter did this, and it was blame. Every time they looked at us, all they could see was the hurt and the grief of their past. And so they made a rule. Do not ever mention the name of your dead father. Never mention the name of your dead mother. And so we were raised never being able to talk about where we came from, who was my daddy. Mama carefully hid any pictures that she had and never did we speak or talk or have any information about my dad. I grew up thinking that I was cheated. That somehow if my dad had still been alive, I'd been loved. I'd been, I'd been appreciated. He would love to throw the football, put a line in the water. We, we'd do a lot of things that my stepdad didn't have the time or didn't have the interest in doing. And I felt cheated. In fact, at 15 years of age, I remember very distinctly the first time I heard a man look at me and personally say, I love you, Tim. 15 years of age. It was Chuck Fieselman after a powerful prayer meeting. He looked at me with tears in his eyes, wrapped his broad arms around me and said, I love you, Tim. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what kind of pervert is this hugging me like this? Can't get out of his arms fast enough. But as I run over to the corner, I realize my heart's beating so fast. What is this feeling upon me? Why do I even care? Does he really mean this? And something began to move and to mess up in me. Mom and dad thought the best thing they could do is bring more, two ch more children into this union. And so my stepdad and my mom had two more children. But when they were born, they were the lights of heaven. Angelic had come to the family. And if you didn't speak the same way and act the same way, you're in deep trouble. Because these two youngest could do no wrong. When they looked at us, it was horror and grief. When they looked at them, it was the union of a new hope, perhaps, etc. 
dysfunction. Now, God helped us tremendously. No telling what kind of knockdown, drag out murder and everything would happen without the Lord in our lives. But this is how I was raised. When I began my dating years, it was typical daddy issues for a young man. In fact, I told the girls that I dated, I want to I meet a million girls and I want to go a million places and I want to get them all to fall in love with me. And I began to do it, not because I was wanting to be a player. I got that reputation, but that's what I wasn't seeking for. I, I just was trying to find value in myself. And if somebody could fall for me and love me and give themselves to me, somehow I thought it would help. But it didn't matter how many girlfriends I could get. I, I needed daddy. I had daddy issues. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 and 15 that is always raised in the church, always has given me hope. And that declares that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And all my life I've known this, that I have a go-between, a high priest, that from where I am, he can bring me to where I need to be in relationship with my God. I've depended on that but when I began to deal with my stuff when I began to wrestle with God concerning my issues and who I was and things I still deal with even though I've had the Holy Ghost for years I wanted to look at this and see if he's more than just a go-between. But does he really feel the very feelings of my infirmity? Does he think the things I thought when I had daddy issues? Does he feel the emotions I felt? Because that's what the scripture tells me. So I took a fresh look at the life of Jesus Christ. Non-traditional, but I promise you I'll be biblical. The first thing that you've got to see is that Jesus was conceived out of wedlock. Now, we just blow that off because we all know that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and God brought this. So we know that. But they did not believe it at the time. How difficult would it be to believe today if one of your precious young people showed up and said, Hey, I'm pregnant, but no worries. This is from the Holy Ghost. Gabriel's been speaking to me. It would be difficult for us to believe now. It was extremely difficult for them to believe then. In fact, the man that is engaged to marry Mary is thinking that he does not want the baby and he sure doesn't want Mary anymore, so he's going to put them away. That's what the scripture says. This is Jesus' first connection with the earthly daddy. In fact, it's not until that Joseph has a dream from God and God says, this is of God and what's in her is of the Holy Ghost. You got to marry her that Joseph marries her. And I think traditionally we're all just thinking, oh, he's jumping up and clicking his heels and saying, all right. Probably not. Probably he thought, how come I have to be muddied my reputation with a girl that cheated on me in our engagement? Now, I know he has a dream, but how many of us have dreams from God and prophecies and promises from God, but when tough time comes, we doubt it? Well, maybe I just had too much pizza the night before. Maybe, maybe that man of God or woman of God, we doubt the promises of God. And I think I can show you in the scripture that Joseph often doubted whether or not this child and Mary, his wife, 
was the Christ. In fact, later in ministry, the half-brothers and sisters of Jesus came to see him. And the scripture makes it very clear that they did not believe in Jesus. In the household that Jesus is raised, his brothers and sisters do not think he's the Messiah. They don't think he's the Christ. They don't think he's the anointed one. And behind their hand, they're saying, oh, mama, fooled around. Where did they get that from? It wasn't Mary. She was there. Probably stepfather Joseph doubted at times. We get a beautiful insight into the life of Christ and I don't want to belabor the point here, but we see him as a 12-year-old boy that is in the temple astounding the leaders when his family's trying to go back home. They're a day's journey back home and their 12-year-old boy's not with them. Frantically, they try to find him. Can you imagine losing your 12-year-old for three days? We'd have every FBI, GBI looking out for them. They can't find him. When they finally get back to the temple and find him, all of us are amazed at the wisdom, the authority. I'll tell you who's not amazed is mama. And when mama speaks to Jesus, I'm just going to translate a little bit for you in my thoughts here. Mary basically says to Jesus, you have been very immature and very selfish. You have thought about nothing but yourself. Look at it. That's what she's saying. And when Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, responds to her, he rebukes his mama on two levels. And the first one is this. I expect my brothers and sisters to not believe in me, and I can deal with my stepfather not believing me, but you of all people should know what burns inside of me and who I am. Don't you know, mama? that I must be about my father's business. And the second rebuke is this. And by the way, that man is not my daddy. I must be about my father's business. You're talking about daddy issues. It's so clear here. It's why the Bible is very specific about after this, Jesus went home and grew and matured in both respect and favor with God and man. The difference between him and me is he felt these emotions, he thought these thoughts, but he was without sin. He felt the very things that I felt. He thought the very thoughts that I've had. That's why he feels the very feelings of our infirmities and he knows exactly what I need and what it takes. What a powerful example. In the ministry of Christ, and I'm not going to spend time on this either, it seems like there's still daddy issues because Luke 14 and 26, he says, if any man come to me and hate his father, he cannot be my disciple. Why didn't he say that a little softer, you know? Hey, if you're going to come be a part of my discipleship, you might make decisions that your parents aren't happy with. No, he said, you got to hate your father. It's like he's starting this club, right? And the first question he asks is, hey, are you a daddy hater? No. Well, you can't be a part. You hate your daddy? Yeah. Oh, well, come on. It's not just one or two or three places. Disciple wants to bury his father that he's so close to. And Jesus said, well, if you want to go bury your father, let the dead bury the dead. Now, how does that happen? Zombies out there with shovels? Jesus is saying you are trying to make an eternal decision based on a temporal 
emotional connection. That you have got to make eternal decisions based on eternal reasons. But it looks like daddy hater. Here in Matthew 23, he's saying the same thing. Call no man your father upon the earth. You have one father. So what's happening here? Because obviously we know that Jesus is not a daddy hater. But the Ten Commandments declares unto us, honor your father and your mother. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the first one with promise that it declares that we will be living long upon the earth if we honor our father and our mother. It's obviously Jesus fights for it in the New Testament as well when their traditions was trying to destroy this law. So, so what's the discrepancy here? When I see what looks like a contrast or a discrepancy, I don't run from it. I don't ignore it. I run to it and study because therein is revelation. First thing that we have to understand about our text is that Jesus was fluent in Hebrew on the cross. He's declaring, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatha. The disciples proved that they knew Hebrew as well with what they put in the Gospels, and I can prove it to you at some time if you need that. So when he speaks here, they've got a Hebrew mindset of language. And when he says, call no man your father, father in the Hebrew is very important. The Hebrew language is a... Very precise, almost perfect, ancient Hebrew, almost perfect language. Many theologians, and I believe this also, believe that God gave the language of Hebrew to his people because it's so perfect. It's perfect mathematically. It's perfect. I know that don't make sense in English because math and grammar have no connection, but every letter of the alphabet in Hebrew has a numerical value and a meaning a vocabulary. And when you begin to put letters together to make words, they combine numerical value and they combine vocabulary to build a beautiful picture. The very first word in the Hebrew dictionary is the word transliterated ob, from which they get father. A-W-B, ob, father. But it means more than daddy. It means primary source principal source. Look how perfect this is, that the first word in the dictionary is the principal and primary source. We can see how it's translated father because everything has to come from a source. And so when a father begets, then that's the primary source that begets it. There's a beautiful principle here that's more than Jewish. It's absolutely heaven, and it's a New Testament principle, and that's this, that the primary source that you come from determines the ceiling of what you are. That's why in the Old Testament it talks about sins of the father visited upon the third and fourth generation. It's also why it tells us that those that love the Lord and keep his commandments, he shows mercy to thousands of them. That's how you break generational curses. And so it's very important. In fact, when you begin to read the Word of God, you find this, you get to Chronicles, and you're starting to read, and all of a sudden you come upon pages that say something like, Leshubidai beget Masabibu. And Brogah beget blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, oh, i got to read the Word of God. Check that off. Because it means nothing to us. 
Even in the New Testament, they began to recite the lineage to make sure that Christ was born both on Joseph and Mary's side all the way back to primary ancestors because their belief is simply this. If I can trace my lineage back to Abraham, then everything that Abraham is, he's my primary source, I can be. Abraham's blessed of God, I'm blessed of God. Abraham's in covenant with God, I'm in covenant with God. That is their thinking, and that's absolutely a Hebrew mindset. Now, let me show you, this is a biblical mindset as well. If you'd help me pull this up. John 5 and 18 declares this, that the Jews sought the more to kill Jesus because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but look at here, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. That's the principle. You realize that God was not called father throughout the entire Testament, Old Testament. No. In fact, they wouldn't even write his name. He was such a holy, separated God. But when Jesus, showed, and only five or six times will you find it in the Old Testament, they're all speaking prophetically to when Christ would be born. But when Jesus shows up and begins to just say, oh yeah, God my Father said this to me, and I'm only going to do what my Father God said to do, and I'm only going to act. They are blown away and they're saying, how can you call him your primary source? Because you're making yourself equal with him. He's your primary source. Duh. This is why the scripture tells us that the headquarters of God is in Christ Jesus. Everything that God is, Jesus was. Romans spends a lot of times telling us that we are joint heirs with Christ. That means when we're born again into the family of God, we have the same Father, and everything that Jesus has inherited, we also are joint heirs with him. Now it makes a little more sense when Jesus said, you see these works that I do, these things and greater things shall you do because I go into my Father. This is who we are. This is what we live. This is our expectation. Now, I was raised in oneness apostolic church service a couple days old the first time I came to church. And all my life, I've heard the stories, New Testament, Old Testament. I've heard our favorite scriptures, Acts 2.38, when I was just a toddler, could quote it. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, could quote it, because these are our famous scriptures. In fact, our oneness revelation is extremely powerful, and we are very careful with this revelation. Let me just say this. Revelations have to be personal. You don't get it by showing up in church every Sunday and hearing it read. You don't get it by being in every Sunday school lesson and hearing it spoke. You've got to have a personal revelation. In fact, when Simon Peter has this revelation, now get this, he said, I know who you are. He did not say, oh, you are God in flesh. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which means everything that God is, you are here on earth. And when Jesus hears him say this, he said, it don't matter how many rabbis have told you there's one God. It doesn't matter how many times you've quoted it. Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but this has been revealed by my father in heaven. 
You can get understanding and knowledge through the word of God and people speaking. But until you submit yourself where you want to know personally how many gods are there, what is his name, that now when you hunger and desire for it, you'll have a revelation that comes from the Father. This is why we have second, third generation people that are serving triune gods now. What are they thinking? It's because they had understanding but no personal revelation. And so I recognize that this is something that we are very strong on. And I've, I can't think of ever, I can't think ever when I've heard a oneness apostolic preacher preach about the baptism of Christ. It's a very powerful Text. The reason why we don't preach is because you got Jesus in the water, the Holy Ghost like a dove, and a voice from heaven. Now, we've got no problem with that. We understand that there is one God, and his name is, and he is everywhere present. He can be right here at True Chapel and down the road and across the street and 25,000 churches in Atlanta and in Africa and Singapore. We've got no problem with that. But the reason why we don't preach from that is because we don't want new people or people online to somehow think that we believe in the word Trinity, which is not even a biblical term or word, and we protect so much. I want you to see how powerful a message this is concerning overcoming daddy issues. Because when Jesus is baptized, he's not opened one blind eyes. He's not unstopped one deaf ears. He's not raised anybody from the dead. But when he is baptized or immersed in his ministry, the voice from heaven, that's his father, says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're talking about getting rid of daddy issues. Sometimes we need to loose our children and just because they're not perfect, we need to loose our ministry that's growing and don't worry about them being not perfect. We need to be well pleased. Well, that didn't quite go over too well, but that's all right. I've heard our preachers preach, and I've done it in the past as well. We'll take a text where Jesus over and over says, the Father, the Father, our Father, my Father, and then we'll preach a 45-minute message that never speaks of God as our Father. It's because we're protecting our oneness. But it's a revelation. You don't have to protect if it's just a doctrine or an understanding that's been taught or vain tradition of men, protect it. But a revelation doesn't have to be protected. But because of that, hear me, we don't think of God as our Father. And so reality, we have spiritual daddy issues. We're orphans. Let me show you why this is so important. The scripture tells us that the number one, James 1 and 17... That the number one positioning of our Father in our life is that He is a giver. James 1 and 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift. There's no way around that. Every, in, in this theological Greek dictionary, every means every, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above and down from the Father of lights. 
Every gift you get that's good and perfect has been manipulated and given by our Father. But you know who we ask for gifts? We ask Jesus for gifts. We ask the Holy Ghost for gifts. We ask, we ask the atmosphere for crying aloud for gifts. We ask all kind of things for gifts. But the scripture lets us know if you're going to get a gift, it's from your Father. That, there's nothing wrong with that. The schematics are right. But the problem is our paradigm. Let me, let me hit it just a little bit. Matthew 7, 11 says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good gifts? When I think about what I want to do for my children, I would bend over backwards and probably go in debt to do anything I could that wouldn't destroy them. And in comparison, God says I'm evil in the way I think about my children. In comparison to how good and righteous he. We've got a problem in oneness apostolica because we don't believe God wants to give things to us that way. We don't believe it because we don't understand he's our father. We think of him some entity up in heaven that's got a lightning bolt ready to destroy us anytime we make the first mistake and we live under emotional cloud of what we call condemnation. If I was to take a survey here and say how many of you that are Holy Ghost filled and living for God, how many of you doubt often that you're even going to go to heaven? 75% of you, if you were honest, would lift up your hand. That's right. The reason why is because we think heaven is a place where a righteous judge that we're scarcely going to make it is at. And we don't realize that it's a place our Father has prepared for us and he'd bend over backwards to do anything he can to get us there. All right, let me hit a few more here. Luke 12 and 32, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Matthew 6 and 4, if you give in secret, it's your Father that will reward you openly. Pray in secret, your Father will reward you openly. Matthew 6, 15, Mark 11, 25, 11, 26, other places says, our Father forgives us. In fact, when Jesus speaks of the gift of the Holy Ghost, this is the statement that he makes. It's the promise of the... And we teach people to come down to the altar... And ask Jesus for the Holy Ghost. Not wrong. There's one God. His name is Jesus. But it's a paradigm that we're teaching them incorrectly. Because the truth of the matter is, your Father, your Heavenly Father, has paid the price to give you a gift. He's already bought it. And you've got to come to your Father and receive this gift. Now your faith level is... A... I watched my half-sister, okay? One of them that hung the moon, right? My half-sister. And I, I watched her walk up to my stepdad and say, Daddy, I need $50. And I knew Armageddon was about to happen. He's about to backhand her. She's going to fly like a football through the goalpost. But instead, he just laughed and hugged her close, tasseled her hair, reached to his wallet, found that, you know, the secret compartment where he kept the big bills and pulled out a 50 and slapped it on her. She laughed and hugged him and walked off. And I'm thinking, What? Because I'd have been absolutely afraid to even ask him for five dollars. If I asked him for five, I thought he was going to tell me, "How dare you? Don't you know I've got seven mouths to feed? Have you done your chores? Have you done your works? 
Have you done the things that you are supposed to do to prove that you love and you're a part? The difference between me and my sister is she knows she has a daddy that loves her and doesn't expect her to be perfect. Me, I'm not so sure. This is going to be a difference in your faith level because our faith level is so low because we don't know we've got a loving father that loves us and loves to give good gifts to us. Not just when we're perfect or have our works done or our chore done. He loves to give good gifts. Look at this one. Look at this one, John 4 and 23. I'm quickly coming to a close. John 4 and 23. But the hour cometh, this is Jesus speaking. The hour cometh and now is when true, don't don't miss that, when true worshipers shall worship the in spirit and truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And bless our hearts, that's a paradigm shift. And understand, Trinitarians don't understand this either. They call him father, but they don't have him as father. In fact, it's an anomaly unless you have been born again into the kingdom of God. And then you have the right to pursue and to know him as father. We sing songs about Jesus. In fact, we, we almost use Jesus too much. We sing about the Holy Ghost and we sing about the atmosphere. I think you can see that's one of my soapboxes, the atmosphere. This is all things that we do, but how many songs do you know that we sing that truly worships the Father? We've got a couple that mention him, but I can only think of two, maybe three songs. He's a good, good father. We all know that recently. There was an old song, Pastor, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. We don't sing, but the scripture says if you're a true worshiper, you worship the Father. The Bible could have put Jesus, God, Lord, anything that we know he is, but it's talking about a relationship. I'm urging our songwriters, somebody, start writing some songs because we've got to have a paradigm shift. We're living so far beneath where we could live. In fact... When the disciples come to Jesus and they say, we have got to know how to pray. One of the gospels, it doesn't say, well, here's a good outline, study it and break it down. One of them says, when you pray, say this. Our Father, which art in heaven. It is the very basis of your communication with God is that you've got to know He is your Father. Every time you come to worship Him, every time that you come to pray, every time that you come to petition or seek gifts, you've got to understand He's your Father or you're living way beneath where you could live. All right. Here's why it's daddy issues spiritually. Because among us, powerful, Holy Ghost field, one God, apostolic people, we have situations that we've got no answer for. How can people among us pray in tongues every service and still fight pornography addiction? How can leaders among us decide that suicide is the answer? Speak in tongues, read the word, 
worship just like we do and somehow get to a place where they feel like it's the answer. We have depression among us, anger among us, fear among us, addictions among us. Why? Because these are all daddy issues. And we don't honestly know how much God our Father loves us. If I'd have stepped to this pulpit today and I said, let's all pray. Father God, we're here today. You'd have thought, well, he went to the wrong church. We don't use language like that, but it's biblical. And an example, it's how Jesus prayed and told us to pray. I've seen the Lord's Prayer, and I've always went to our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And by the way, hallowed. We walk into the house, and we're calling our dad by his first name type of stuff. Not much respect and reverence there. If we hallowed it a little more, maybe. I've always thought that the Lord's Prayer was just talking about the Father and then it was the Savior and then it was the Healer and then it was all the things. But every part of this prayer is about our Father. It's your Father that won't lead you in temptation. It's your Father that forgives you. It's your Father that watches. It's your Father's heaven. It's your Father. So stand with me. Let's look at our text again. Jesus said... Call no man your father on the earth. We understand that's primary source. So what he simply is saying this. Now, I've heard preachers all my life preach about this God-shaped hole in our heart. You can try to fill it with everything in this world, but nothing will fulfill that place in your heart except for God himself. By the same token, God created in every individual a father-shaped hole. Hear this. That no earthly father can fill. That's it. So call no man on earth your primary source for fatherhood. Your primary source for fatherhood is our heavenly father. So there's some here that have had difficult situations and dysfunction growing up. We need healing. There's others here, please. Others here are thinking, well, man, I, I had the best dad in the world. It don't matter. They could not provide for you what you needed as an eternal soul. Not in the element of fatherhood for eternal souls. You need a heavenly father. So, let's do this. First thing we have to do is release our earthly father. Well, he's got to apologize to me. If you're expecting that, you're not releasing The truth is, he doesn't have the ability to give you what you need even now. He he doesn't. Even if he prayed through the Holy Ghost and became the best preacher in the breast, he doesn't have the ability. My wife's father was maybe the best dad on earth. I can remember her getting up from altar many times before he passed away and after he passed away and saying, Tim, I don't understand because I'm missing my daddy. And Dad, God didn't want her to call her father. And even after he's dead, she couldn't. But Father was saying, you've got a good father, but it's not enough. So for those of us with dysfunction and hurt, abuse, abandonment, whatever it was, you've got to let go of that. 
Because if you don't let go of it, there's no place for him to fulfill that. For those of you who are filled with your earthly father, you're going to have to let go of him being the primary source of your father. If you don't, there's no place for him to fulfill that in you. All the spiritual fathers we have in this man and that man, they cannot be your spiritual father. Their helps, their voices, their pastors, all these things that are great, but you need Father God to be the primary source of your fatherhood. So all across this place, even where you're standing, in fact, I'm giving an altar call for those who are admitting, I need healing. If you need healing, just come on down. We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.